Well, this is the time of the year that if you didn't get it for Christmas, it's time to go get it. You can probably get it on sale, marked down, I don't know, 50, maybe 70% off. I don't know if you like shopping. Uh, I know there's probably different uh, feelings when it comes to that, that topic of going out and, and, and getting things and shopping for things. I'm kind of a, a dive in and dart out sharper. I can enter a store and within 30 seconds to a minute determine if there's anything in that store for me that I want. Uh, that's just me. That's just the way I like to go in and look real quick, one pass through. I don't even have to pick up anything and then I can be out and, 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 and it's done. But I have, I know women and men kind of shop differently and I've heard that there are ladies who like to shop and they'll shop all day long and they'll go into multiple stores trying to clothes after clothes, and walk away, spend the entire day, and walk away with a bag, if anything, maybe nothing, but they've enjoyed their time with their friends. Now, you'll not see, not, not, I know I'm stereotyping, but I don't think you're going to see men out shopping hand in hand or bag in bag with men for all day long and walking out with nothing. We go in, we conquer, we get what we go for, and we and we go home. Now, the problem is, for myself, I'm just personal confession here, is that I can sometimes go in, see something 50% off. I didn't need it. I didn't want it. I didn't, but it's 50% off. So if I get it, I'm saving money, right? Does anybody identify with that? That if you buy something 50% off, you saved money by buying that something. Y'all aren't getting it. Okay. So basically I wasted money, okay, on, on things that I don't need. But Somehow in that, there's this sensation that I got something, I, I have something to show for it, and I save money. Well, whenever you're out in life and you're shopping for things, don't settle. You know, get quality stuff, get good stuff, get as much bang for the buck as you can. Make sure that when you get it and it's genuine, that it's truly genuine. And I would say that's true even in your faith. If you're out in this world right now and you're you're trying to figure the God thing out and the whole Christianity thing out, and you're just you're just stopping by. Listen, don't settle until you bite down on something genuine and solid. Don't look for the easiest path. Don't don't look for the fifty percent discount. Don't settle for junk. Okay, you need to find the right stuff. And so, as we're talking about in this series, making ten solid life changing forever moves in your life, kind of waypoints, if you will that if you'll make these 10 moves and they're solid with you, it doesn't matter if you are uh, educated, uneducated, young or old, whether you're, you live here or you're from here or you're not from here, you're an import or an export or whatever you are, that you, you can go with these 10 moves and wherever you end up, these 10 moves will stay with you. These 10 moves can go with you wherever you are and save you from a lot of headache and also help you out as you go through life. And the first move we talked about last week, and these, these moves, by the way, if you remember, are not just moves, they're commandments from God. They're ten commandments that God gave in 13, 14th century B.C., a long time ago, that are still so very relevant for us today, so practical for us today, in really, again, nailing down some signature, solid points of, uh, of contact or reference in our life. The problem is, even though I sit here and say ten commandments... The problem is, is a lot of people don't know the Ten Commandments. 
Uh, I don't know how you did if you were here last week, if you went home and took the test, and how well you did in writing out the Ten Commandments and writing them out in order, because there's a sequence, there's a rhythm, there's a method to the madness. If you didn't, please do that this week, just as, again, a point of reference for yourself. But I hope by the end you will know them better, both experientially and cognitively, you will know them deeply and know why, not just that I know them, but you will know the value of them. Because most Americans know more about hamburgers than they do about, sadly, about the Ten Commandments. True. Uh, a study was done and of Americans, a survey was given, and the researchers found that 80% of the respondents knew that the Big Mac had two all-beef patties, in quotations, all-beef patties, uh, yet only 60% knew that thou shalt not kill was one of the commandments. And then it even gets worse after that. 34% thought did not, only 34% knew that remembering the Sabbath was a part of them. And only 29%, the second commandment, by the way, 29% uh, were familiar of God's command not to have false idols. So if we say we don't believe in the Ten Commandments, how do we know we don't believe them if we don't even know them? And how can we say that we believe the Ten Commandments and we're going to live the Ten Commandments? And again, I'm making broad stroke assumptions here that none of us are we're the average American, that we really don't know what we believe or don't believe. And so let's just zero in on this and let's make sure we get these down. Last week, we talked about the first commandment and that you shall have no other gods before me. All right. Now, would you say that out loud with me? You shall have no other gods before me. God's very narrow-minded on this, okay? He's very clearly focused, very zeroed in on this. And there aren't to be a multitude of gods in your life. There is only to be one God. And he's actually, and we'll read here in a moment, he's pretty jealous about that. He doesn't share that throne with anybody else. He is the one and only singular God, and we need to understand that and fully embrace that. So let's look at number two, but let's do it in in context. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20, and let's begin reading there as I I start in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about Really, God has had a history going here. He's proven himself to be a worthy God, the worthy God, the one and only God. He's proven himself to be that because he's rescued them, because he's showed himself to be God, and so on and so forth. Don't want to rehash the last week's message, but he has the right, if you will, the moral authority to stand before anybody, let alone the people of Israel, and to say, listen, I'm God. I'm not going to share this with anybody else. So if you're going to follow me, make sure I'm number number one in your life. All right? But he keeps going. Let's read the first commandment. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourselves carved image uh, of any likeness, anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath. So he pretty much covers all the expanse. As high as the heavens and as deep as the oceans, any point in between there, don't make anything, don't worship anything. There's nothing in that spanse of the depths of the ocean to the heavens above that should substitute who I am. 
that should stand in the place of, that should be an addendum to, all right? Nothing else, clear and clean. Uh, or that in the earth beneath, uh, that is under the, the earth. Okay, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Just meditate on that one for a while. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children uh, to the third and the fourth generations and those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands, my commandments. So as you think about these commandments, he makes this wonderful statement at the end. For those who love me and keep my commandments. Keeping God's commandments isn't a mean task list from God. It grows out of, it emerges out of a love relationship with Him. Out of that love relationship with Him, us with Him, and Him with us, He is wanting the very best. If He says, thou shalt, He's saying, don't hurt yourself. He says, thou shalt. He's saying, go bless yourself. We talked about that last week. And so I want us to come in, and as we did last week, I want us to clarify. That's really going to be an important process here. Clarify before we simplify. If our life gets cluttered and confused and convoluted, it's because we've allowed too many things to attach themselves along the way. The same it is in our own spirituality. We can get very convoluted, very confused, very cluttered lives in our relationships with God. We need to tear off, we need to throw away some things. So the first commandment, no other gods before me. Second commandment, you you shall not make for yourself a graven image. Notice this, make for yourself. See, what we're talking about today is idolatry. And the key thing about idolatry is, one, it is very focused. At the same time, it is very ambiguous. It's very focused in that it is very self-centered, self-driven. It's all about you and what you want, okay? But it's also very ambiguous. There's any thousands of idols that we could have. There's no way if I had all the time and all I did today was just read off one type of idol from one type of idol and just go down the list, I could spend the entire time talking about different idols. In fact, I'll put it like this. Satan will even create an individual idol custom made for you. He doesn't care as long as there's an idol there. And that's why the second commandment really has to come Second, because we have to first of all establish who is my God. Once I clarify that, strip away everything else that could become my God, then number two, I can't have a graven image. I can't create it. Nothing between heaven and earth, nothing in the water, nothing, nothing can step in the place, stand in, attach itself to, become anything of loyal, subject, love, and passion outside of God. Okay, now I can have love and passion, but I can't have anything that would even closely equate to my absolute love for God. See, the people of Israel, they were coming from a pagan land of Egypt where they worshipped pharaohs, but they were moving to the land of Canaan where they would worship Asherah poles and and they would worship uh, a Baal uh, 
carved out, uh, fashioned uh, bulls that would be that they would worship and bow down to. Again, sounds very bizarre to us. Would never do that in and of ourselves. But yet we face idols every day of our life. We deal with them. We don't understand them. We don't see them. We don't see them as idols. But be very aware. In fact, I want to give you a very clear warning today. Beware of what attracts the eye. Because what attracts the eye will seduce the soul. What attracts your eye will seduce your soul. And if it has your soul, if it has your passion, your love, and your devotion, whatever it is, what, whoever they are, whatever, fill in the blank, it becomes your God. D.L. Moody, a great evangelist of the 18th century, said it like this. He says, whatever you love more than God is your idol. If you don't have a passionate love relationship with God above everything else, then you have an idol in your life. Martin Luther, the reformer who said centuries before that, he said, whatever your heart clings to and relies on, that is your God. What is your heart clinging to? What is your heart relying on? What are you loving more than God? Now, again, today's message as many people as there are in this room, there could be as m- that many different idols. I don't think there's that many. But I'm going to say that there could be that many idols. And there's constantly, I'll say to this, everybody in this room, I'll say everyone has something in their life trying, if not already there, trying to become your idol. So you have to identify it today, identify it and strip it away, tear it down, get it out of your life, because God doesn't play second chair to anything. He doesn't play second chair. He is the God. He is the only God. And He will have no other God before Him. And He doesn't want idols in our life. Idols, here's just my statement on idols. Idols are substitutes. They're shadows. They're synthetic gods that will subvert the one and only supreme God of the universe in your life. They're shadows. They're substitutes. They're synthetic. They're made. Beware of them all the way. Now, just to kind of, again, keep putting our arms around it and understanding it a little bit more fully, realize that there are big things that can become our idols. Houses can become idols. Careers can become idols. Cars and homes and boats can become idols. Big, expensive things, vacations, second homes, third homes, can become idols. Beware of the big things. Also beware of relationships. Relationships can become idols. Whenever you're in a relationship that is maybe both people aren't in walking relationship with God, one's maybe a toxic relationship or whatever the case may be, a relationship where you are not willing to separate yourself from it and you are more in love with the relationship than you are with God, that becomes an idol for you. If you live in fear of some relationship or something, that can become an idol to you. When you fear that more than you have respect for God, beware of it. Beware. Parents, I may step on some toes today. Be careful because I'm a parent as well. And I know I'm getting real close to my own toes. But beware that you don't allow even your kids' extracurricular activities to become idols. You know how dance and, and sports and 
whatever can become so much a part of our life that that becomes greater love and devotion and focus of our life than a simple relationship with God. Beware of the idols that will creep into your life. Little things, little innocent things become idols. Now, everything I've mentioned, every example that I've given so far, you notice I'm not talking about stealing, killing. I'm not talking about any of the big ones, okay, any pedophile. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. That we know is wrong. It's whenever the good stuff attaches itself to our heart and becomes a God so subtly, even the little things. You know, again, I don't know how many of y'all are carrying one of these little babies with you uh, or something similar to it, but I feel lost without it. I feel like I can't live without it. I've literally driven from seven miles from my home here, got here, realized I didn't have it, go all the way back home another seven miles to drive all the way back here just to get this baby, all right? Because I can't live without it. Really? You know, my daughter for years has slept with this thing, all right? It's, it's one of those things that people are, are, are unable to be separated from it. It's like a God to them. You want to ground your kid and really make yourself the evil mother or parent of the West? Take this from them and you will be cursed by them. Uh, Those who struggle with that, just beware, you might be facing nomophobia. I didn't create this. This was actually coined by the in the UK in 2008 in a research project where they did where they found that 80% of the people surveyed felt that they felt helped by their phone, that their phone was a companion for their life. In fact, uh, throw some statistics up there. Uh, and just, just to be aware, people checked their cell phones on an average of 34 times a day in their study. Now, think about it. Is it an idol? Is it wrong? Is it big? Is it bad? Is it evil? No. But if, how many times do you pray in a day? 34, 35 times? I'll give it to you this. If you check your phone 34 times, but you pray uh, 35 times a day, then you probably, your phone isn't your idol. But if you check your phone more than you pray, when the Bible already tells us to pray without ceasing, your phone may be an idol. 66% uh, people feel like they're, 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 they're lost or they're being without their, their cell phone. 75 percent use their cell phone in the bathroom is there no sacred place today i don't know 55 percent of the women would rather leave the house without makeup than without their cell phone 63 percent said they would climb through the trash to find their lost cell phone uh, is 40 percent said that they would start to miss their phone in in less than an hour uh 30 percent said that they that it actually became a point of division in their marriage now, again, I'm just using this as a simple example of how life, fill in the blank, job, work, car, phone, relationship, sports, extracurricular activity, life attaches itself to us and becomes an idol. Very subtly, very innocently, if we're not careful. Beware of it. Now, what this is, is this is a shortcut to God. And you need to be aware of what this shortcut is, okay? And there are three shortcuts of idol worship whenever we are worshiping idols. One is we settle for the substitute God. When we are worshiping idols, we're settling for a substitute 
not the real God. Satan has been crafting substitutes since the beginning of time. Take the, take the, the tree in the garden of Adam and Eve when they could have any fruit from any tree, but there was one tree. And it was that tree that Satan tempted them with and they wanted to be that tree because what would that tree do? That tree would make them like God. We have always been striving to be our own God, create our own God, be masters of our own universe. It's been a temptation, but when we succumb to that temptation, we realize, you should realize, we should realize that it becomes an idol. And it trips us up and it throws us down. And it is a substitute God in our life. Here's a verse for you. Psalm 106, verse 36. He said, they serve their idols. By the way, idols require service. Life requires service. The great thing about a relationship with God Almighty is He serves us. Why in the world would we be in a, in a one-way relationship where we serve our idols? But Jesus said He came in Mark 10, 45 to serve and not to be served. Now, do we serve Him? Yes. We give our life and allegiance to Him. But it was first because He loved us and served us. So the idol worship is we create things for ourselves. And what does it end up doing? It ends up snaring us. Now, what are some idols? Again, substitute idols that can slip in so subtly into our life. Real quickly, let me give you a handful of them. One is the me, myself, and I idol. Warns in Timothy, Paul told Timothy that you will become, there will be people that will become lovers of themselves. Living for self, loving self, even whenever the Ten Commandments were given on down. And if you have your Bibles open, look at chapter 20, verse 23. He says this, You shall not make gods of silver to be with me. God didn't want idols with Him in His worship, but notice this also. Verse 23, Nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold, jewelry, cars, things. Neither shall you make for yourself gods, idols, things that can creep in and take away, uh, again, your devotion from me. Appetite is one. Boy, don't we have a big appetite in America. Paul warned of our bellies becoming like gods. Listen, we will eat anything in America as long as it tastes good. You put enough cheese on it and we'll eat it. All right? We eat products, not food. We, listen, if it was made in a laboratory, it probably needs to be digested in a laboratory. If it was made in creation, then creation can take it in. Think about it like that. But instead, we eat product and junk, and we wonder, and we just keep... Our God is our belly. Beware of your appetite. Beware of my pleasures, my pleasures, things out there. I enjoy things as much as you enjoy things. Now, God, again, is not trying to rob us of enjoying life. But the reality is we become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Who do you love more? Who's first on your list? Money can become a God to us. Paul warned that those who love money more than God will not inherit God's kingdom, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. See, there are so many things in our life and in our world that can become substitute. Andrew Carnegie, 1868, oil, oil producer, excuse me, not oil, but steel producer, made this statement. He says, man must have an idol. 
The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more debasing than the idol of money. Beware that the stuff that you have in the bank and the stuff that you're going to go to work for tomorrow isn't your idol. It's the worst idol you can have because you serve it. You live for it. You work for it. And it becomes a horrible, horrible master. Now, is God trying to rob us of all of this stuff out there? Pleasures and joy and excitement? No, no, no. Not at all. In fact, He is the... It's at His very nature. Psalm chapter 16, uh, verse 11 says this. In fact, let's read it together. You read it with me. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in Your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God has pleasures. God has joy. God has life. And you're not going to find it in stuff, in appetite. You're not going to find it in me, myself, and I. You're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in things. Paul made this statement about his own life. He says, I beat my body and make it my slave. Now think about that for a moment. What we have done is we've made our life our master. Listen, the best thing you can do is make your life a slave. Your pleasures, your joy, your, th- your stuff, your appetites, they're great servants, but they're horrible masters. Make your life a slave and serve only God and have only one God. Don't serve self-pleasure, self-indulgence, self-gratification. There is no substitute for the one true God. Number two, we settle for the shadow God. Whenever you have an idol, you have a shadow. You'll have a shadow and you're like, understand this. Now, please, in the next, next five minutes, give me uninterrupted attention. Just, just bear in, lean in, pay attention. Shadows have form. They don't have substance. Makes sense, doesn't it? Light shines on the stage. You see my shadow back there. It looks just like my hand. It looks just like my body. It it looks like me. You can even make out people that you know, and if you know them well, you can make them out by their shadows. But it's not them. It's not the substance. Idolatry is is shadows without substance. A, A good example is when you find people in this world who worship creation more than the Creator. They're worshiping the shadow of the one who created it, but they won't bow their knee to God Almighty. They'll be a tree hugger, but they won't be a knee bower. Go figure that one out. Instead of knowing the Creator, they instead of worship creation. But let me drive it in a little bit closer to home for you. Commonly in our world, family, close family. I'm talking about good family. I'm not talking about the Uncle Eddie's out there, okay? I'm talking about good family. I'm talking about your children. They can become worship. They can become idols. To where you allow that to become the focus of, where it becomes a parent-centered home, where it becomes the focus of your life. Now, hang with me. I told you I'm going to confuse some of you. Some of you all might walk out of here saying, well, he was telling me this, and I'm, and I'm not. But subtly what happens is the marriage and the family and all the stuff becomes the idol of our life. And, and, and to some degree, it kind of makes sense because the Bible makes it clear in Genesis chapter uh, 1 that we were made in the image of God. 
So because we were made in the image of God, what will we do? We will cast a shadow. We are a shadow of God, but we are not God. Your blessed little perfect children are not gods, all right, or goddesses. You are not God. Your, your husband, your wife, they may look like a goddess, but they're not, okay? The realization of that is so important. So when, when Jesus makes this statement, which stumps a lot of people, this, it all comes together, all right? When Jesus made this statement in Luke chapter 14, he said, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, even the people that you love the most and rightfully should love, when it comes to a love relationship with me, nothing comes between you and me. I should love God more than I love anybody. More than, and I was sharing this with a, with a good friend of mine, and, and he was new in the faith, and he was growing in the faith, and he was coming up in the faith, and we were worked out together, we hung out together, we even traveled together. We spent a lot of time together. And we came to this verse. He had never seen this verse before. And I'm telling you, he got off the bus at that point. And he, to this day, as far as I know, is not walking with God because he couldn't get past that he would love God Almighty more than he even loves his wife. Well, let me tell you this. This is the absolute God-honest truth. I don't love Lori first in my life. She's not my first love. Jesus is my first love. And I've got to love Jesus more than I love my wife, more than I love my three children. But here's the beauty of it. Lori doesn't want me to love her first. She wants me to love her second. She doesn't want me to love her first because the beauty of it is if I love Jesus first and I know Jesus first, I will know unconditional love. I will experience love. I will experience depth of commitment that I would not see anywhere else in this world. And when I love Jesus more than anything else, then I turn around and I love my wife more than I could ever love anybody else. I love my children more than I could ever imagine. When Lori is second and Jesus is first, the world comes together. And a relationship is formed that is impenetrable. But when I love anything more than I love God, anybody more than I love God, I've developed a shadow. God, beware of substitutes. Beware of shadows. Second, or third, beware of the synthetic God. Synthetic God. See, the first commandment tells us who we should worship. The second commandment tells us how we should worship. No stand-ins, no addendums, no attachments, no man-made inventions. And boy, we have been trying to do this again for years and years. Religions have been trying to do this, whether it's the Catholic Church bowing down to idols and lighting candles, or it's, or it's Baptist churches worshiping their facilities or, 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 or whatever, or it's pagan, pagan religions worshiping their stuff. Recently, I was in, uh, in South Asia, and we were in this actually... Uh, this religion, if you will, temple that was only in Asia, only in this, in, in this country. And it's a horrible photo, but I just got to show it to you. And, and, and this, there's these ceramic statues that go up this, tear up these steps. And in this cluster of little gods is a statue uh, of Jesus. 
And Jesus is just one among many gods. He's among Buddhists. He's among so many. But at the very top is this eyeball, if you can see it plastered on the wall. And that eyeball represents the all-knowing God. And their belief is, as they told us, is that all the religions of the world we embrace, but then there is this all-knowing eyeball in, 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 the, in the heavens that is looking down on us. Listen, I want to just tell you this. Jesus doesn't fit up there. Jesus is a one and only. He, the first command, God is a one and only God. He'll not share the platform with anybody else. It is Him or not. It is not Him plus. It is only Him. And let me tell you this. It is, he's not a synthetic God. He's a real live God. He's real. He's personal. And He wants a real and personal and intimate relationship with you. And that's the problem with idols, whether it's an iPhone or it's I myself or it's anything else out there. It's not personal. It's not real. God wants real. He is real. Listen to just three giants, if you will, in the faith. Listen to Moses and how he expressed it. You look favorably on me. Let me know your way so that I will understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Does that sound like he's worshiping an idol? No, he's worshiping a personal God that he wants to know him and he wants God to know him. This is a a relationship. Listen to David. As David cries out, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? God isn't inanimate. He is living. He's the living God. Listen to, to, to Paul and his absolute surrender of giving everything up. Idols, if you will. Things, if you will. Accomplishments, certificates, resumes, degrees, all of his successes. He said everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage. Literally in the Bible, it says dung. Counting it as dung so that I could gain Christ. It's only about a personal relationship. Don't settle. Don't buy junk. When the real, living, intimate God was to be real and intimate in your life. Don't attach. Don't bring on other gods in your life. Know the one and true living God. There's a market in, in Zambia where we used to live. And we had lived there long enough that my, my clothes were getting a little worn out. And there's no place that you could buy in Zambia clothes. There was another missionary who had told me that there was a, uh, in the market, Maramba market in particular, that in Maramba Market, that they had some Nike overruns that had been shipped over. And that if I got there, I could get some. Uh, and so I made a beeline, found the little stall that, that they were selling these Nike overruns. Didn't take me long because there, there wasn't much to choose from. And so I grabbed up this polo golf Nike shirt, and it said Nike on it, and I took it, and I went home. Well, it didn't take me long after I got home to realize it was the furthest thing from anything genuine at all. It was said extra large, and, and it was definitely a medium at best. And I put it on, and one arm was longer than the other arm. And, and uh, 
and it didn't fit right. And it even had somebody else's body odor that had been wearing it before me. And so I'm sitting here excited about getting my Nike clothes. Only to find out I got I got suckered. Or I suckered myself. No, I settled. I settled for an appearance of Nike, but not Nike. There's a lot of things out there buying for your attention, longing for your attention, crying out for your devotion and love. But there's a living God who wants you to know Him intimately, personally. We've been talking for the past two weeks about clarify and simplify. In that order, clarify and simplify. And the realization, if you want to know God, you're not going to find Him in an idol. You're going to find Him in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says this. He says that He is the image of the invisible. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And that's in Colossians chapter 1. I, I want you to understand that if we're going to clarify today, what we've got to do is we've got to clarify who is God. Is there anyone or anything standing between me or God? Standing in the path of an intimate, personal relationship with God? Clarify that. And then simplify it. Get it out of your life. Get it out. Reduce the clutter. Rearrange the priorities. Do what you got to do to make sure that there's one God in your life and no idols that you've created or you've attached. Would you pray with me? As we go into a time of worship, I want you to think deeply, personally about yourself and ask yourself, who is God? Is he a religion? Is he this church? Is he a bunch of rules and regulations? Or is he a living, breathing, real, personal God? Absolutely deserves my 100%, 100% of the time. Knowing that way. Father God, if there's anything obstructing the path, if there's anything standing in your way, if there's any shadow we're bowing to, any substitute we put in place, any synthetic religion or idol that we have built up that draws us away from a personal, intimate knowledge of you, the almighty God that you are, then God, show it to us now.